0: What do you do when your business is all about bringing people together and a pandemic is keeping people apart? Open for Business is a three-part outrageous impact show special on the in-person market research industry. You'll hear about the people working in it and the incredible journey they have been on to keep safe, open and delivering for their clients. We'll explore the ups, downs, the lessons learned and what this tells us about how to navigate through a pandemic. This special series was made possible with support from our friends at Little Bird Marketing. And you can find out more about Little Bird at littlebirdmarketing.com. And now, on with the show. Today, I'm chatting with Isaac Rogers. Isaac, how are you? I'm doing well, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Now, Isaac is the Chief Innovation Officer at Schlesinger Group. And he was previously the CEO of 2020 Research, which was also acquired by the same company. Isaac's key focus is innovation around technology and business model transformation. And he lives in Nashville, Tennessee. But the thing that really caught my attention was that you keep bee colonies, Isaac. Tell us (laughs) a little bit more about this and why you decided to keep bees.
1: Uh, So, um, uh... You know, it's a it's a it's a small hobby of mine, um, and a and a and a former colleague got me into it, uh, and it, it had always been sort of a fascinating thing for me. I I uh, I live here in Nashville, and we are we're able to have a, a a small kind of it's not a piece of land, but a, a couple of acres here in the, in the in the in the city, and so you know we got some room to do things. I was raised on a cattle ranch, and so. You know that idea of like being outside and working with things and, and raising and growing things kind of I think comes a little bit natural because I just spent so much time doing it when I was a kid. And and so when I when I when I learned about bees and and uh, you know how you keep them and and kind of watch this, I was like, I want to give that a try. So I've had I've had two hives for about two years now. I haven't taken any honey out of it yet, so we don't know if I'm any good at raising bees for honey. But you know, for me, it's more the this concept of getting to watch nature and how it does this amazing thing. Bees are one of the most amazing. If you don't know anything about bees, you just have to go look, like find a YouTube video or something about about keeping bees because they are some of the most fascinating little creatures. Uh, and it's 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 really just something that kind of keeps me busy. This was a pre-COVID uh, hobby, by the way, <laughs> um, and, and so this wasn't something that I came up c- with because I was bored. Although um, although I've certainly had a lot more time to pay attention to them in the last year.
0: And I was fascinated to hear that you said you'd grown up on a cattle ranch. Could you just give us a, a you know a, a one sentence insight on what that was like, if that's possible? Oh, one
1: sentence insight, um, or a,
0: or a short insight?
1: Yeah, sure. So so. Um, uh, I'll, um, I'll, I won't tell you what it was like, but I'll tell you what I got from it. And, and what I got from it was, um, there is a solution to every problem. Uh, and, and when you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're totally reliant on yourself, something breaks or something needs to get done, um, there, there isn't an Uber Eats or a Postmates um, to come fix your problem. Um, you are fixing it yourself and you may not know how to do that thing, um, but you will figure it out. And I think that has had kind of an endearing impact on my life. Because it, it just from a very young age, um, there was never a moment where we said, gosh, we're going to call the plumber or gosh, we're going to call someone to do this. Um, you just figure it out. Um, even if you don't have a clue how to start.
0: And I love that because uh, it's certainly been something I've had to rely on during we're now in our third stay at home sort of shelter at home order here in the UK, Isaac, and uh, in uh, lockdown one, as we called it, or as other people called it, the great lockdown, which was nearly six months, um, our one of our taps in the kitchen, one of the faucets started dripping. And until you've had a a dripping faucet in a in a shelter at home order, and you're literally just hearing that faucet dripping the whole time, (laughs) you have never got seen somebody so dedicated and determined to like work out how to do it so you know the Apollo 11 uh sort of uh, mission had nothing on fixing and replacing two cartridges inside a faucet it was uh quite a thing and when that was done I was literally high-fiving myself like I just brought back astronauts from uh, yeah I mean yeah
1: that's that's a big and and you know you and I had to reschedule this because I was up very very late one night last week because our washing machine had a very unique leak and um (laughs) had leaked Uh, all over the house so I I spent most of my night (laughs) on the floor cleaning that up and fixing that so uh, we have all learned how to be plumbers and electricians and and homeschool teachers and painters and everything else
0: yeah just hopefully not plumbers and electricians at the same time because then you've got real problems it could be yeah yeah now I wonder if you tell me a little bit about Schlesinger Group and um, sort of what you do and where you kind of focus your energies in terms of in terms of your working career
1: Sure. So, so Schlesinger Group, for those that don't know, we're a, a market research services company. We're a very diversified organization. We're um, primarily spread across the U.S. and Europe. Um, in-person testing and research facilities in uh, many major markets across the U.S. and Europe. Um, a large digital practice for digital qualitative research, which was where 2020 came into the picture. Also a very large quantitative data collection practice through our Cube acquisition back in uh, March of last year. So we're a Kind of extraordinarily diversified, you might call it field work services, you might call it data collection um, uh, group. Um, we started uh, uh, many decades ago uh, by, by, by Steve's family and, and specifically his mother. Um, over the years we've really kind of grown and morphed with the industry and then, and then you know taken some, some big bold moves in the last 12 months to, to look at the future of uh, Quant and Qual and really ask the question what's that going to look like really not not just post-COVID, but what's what's it going to look like with this kind of new generation of research expectations that we have at our, our footsteps. So uh, it's a it's a it's a fascinating time to be part of this group. And I, I couldn't be more thrilled.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm fascinated to, to sort of get your take on what at a very high level you think some of those sort of, you know, different futures that you're that you're thinking about now might actually look like.
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, there, there are uh, there's, there's really two forces that have been driving, um, I think some latent change in our, in our industry. And full disclosure, I got into this industry about 12, 13 years ago, thinking that these changes that I'm gonna tell you about were right around the corner. Um, and I was, I was wrong for a variety of reasons, but I think, I think now we're here. Um, so if you, if you look at um, research data collection, qual or quant, quant is really way ahead of qualitative as far as automation. Uh, streamlined workflows and processes you know true partnerships where you can you can have additive resources that come together to make make the process the puzzle the project better qual has very much around the world been a been a, a cottage industry or very manual um and and i i just i came out of grad school and i looked at what the what state the industry was in back in 2007 2008 and i said gosh this just has to change it's got to evolve and and become more of an enterprise or more of a of a of a serious business and I think COVID is gonna drive a lot of that because it's shown that, that there's a lot of things that we were relying on for data collection that were um, uh, perhaps could be op- optimized. And the second thing is uh, I, I talk a lot about this generational shift in, in research buyers and the, and the brand side. I call it the Google generation. So I was, I was born in 1980. Um, and I tell people the story that, that when I went to, to college or university, the, the very first day when my parents were moving me into my dorm room, there were these guys in, in, in uh, matching shirts all running around with all this technology in their hands. And I had no idea what it was in 1998, um, but they were actually wiring up my dorm room for Internet. And I'm the first dorm to get it and, and the first people at the university to have Internet access in your room. So it was kind of it was totally luck, but it was kind of coveted to be in my dorm because we had the Internet. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that's kind of a watershed moment, because if you look at folks that are my age or, or, or older, we live most of our formative years without this ubiquitous access to information and data. If you look at everybody after me, so anybody born after 1980, and certainly when you get into the nineties, they never knew a world where data was hard to get to. They never knew a world where information was hard to get to. And I fundamentally believe it changes the behavior they have when they address research and they think about research, they come at it with a totally different understanding. So I think COVID and I think that the Google generation as I call them are, are driving a lot of systemic change for good in our industry
0: yeah fascinating and i still remember you know sitting down at the university of york in uh here in the uk in front of a sort of terminal that was wired into a main a mainframe computer with a sort of black screen and green uh text only writing on it and thinking that uh, suddenly i'd ended up in the math matthew broderick uh war games uh, film <laughs> isaac but of course you know it's just the speed of change has been so sort of dramatic and i'm interested you know you've say that you know in your hypothesis that you've just laid out that in fact um you know um quant has been quite a, a sort of light years distance ahead of of qual um why then sort of the the, the interest in in sort of in person as a, as a sort of facet of quant what, what sort of drove you to to that area specifically
1: well so so if you, if you roll back the clock um uh, about a year 2020 was a uh, smaller but diversified business so we were a very large digital qualitative provider uh, built our own technologies service people around the world with recruiting project management and technology for digital research but we also had in-person research facilities and and what i want to make clear is um, there is absolutely no replacement for that idea of getting in front of consumers and being six feet from them on the other side of the glass and really feeling and developing that empathy for what it's like to be them Um, at the, at the same time, I think what, what we, and, and, you know, most people in the industry were, were kind of would would admit this is that we had an over-reliance on that methodology as our primary method to collect data. And there was a lot of research methods. There were a lot of approaches. There's a lot of audiences that trying to bring them into a central location to talk to them just isn't the method that works, but it was our. You know, there's the old saying: when all you've got's a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, so much of the research experience had been built up in person; it was a very tough transition to say, "Let's try something new. Let's try online methods to engage these folks and reach these folks and understand what they think about products and concepts and services." Um, but, but I think we have we have now we have uh, we have breached that moment now with COVID, uh, and I and I don't know that it's going to go back in the same way, but but. We will. The world will be a far worse place if we don't get to go back to in person because there is no replacement for that. Now the question is, how big a piece of that that needs to play in your research portfolio?
0: So it's really about the sort of balance of in person versus other tools, rather than a, a direct replacement for that.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I tell people all the time that you know, we'll talk to brands or agencies, or or you know, more specifically brands and 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 certainly sm- smaller brands, and we'll say. You know, they'll say, hey, I haven't done research in a while. And I'm, I'm like almost before they tell me what they need to do, I'll be like, well, you need to go do some in-person focus groups because that empathy you develop sitting across the glass from someone um, is really, really hard to re- replicate in other methods. Um, and so, so I, I oftentimes recommend just start there um, as you develop that empathy and you want to expand that to how your consumers make decisions. You want to expand it to how they think about things or you mix in the other methods, but that idea of, you know, like you and I would have a different relationship on this call. We would probably choose different words and I would, and you would maybe even feel bolder or braver asking me things if we had met in person before this call. Right. And, and, and so there is that ability to, to get the best of both worlds by, by having in-person and digital as a part of the portfolio.
0: I, I I sort of instinctively believe you, but also I don't worry, Isaac, I won't hold back on this interview. I will literally, uh, you know, in the politest, most collegiate, uh, you know, most friendly professional way, definitely go for the jugular and not leave those uh, hard questions on the table. But uh, I guess I was interested sort of just building on what you said there, though, that. Um, when the pandemic sort of first hit, how did, how did your business, um, sort of respond and personally, how did you kind of feel as, as those early sort of months started to roll through? So,
1: um, you know, we talked about this a a little bit right before when we got on the call, but Nashville is an interesting city. It's about 2 million people. It's, it's a large city, but it's also a city that's very spread out. So we haven't had necessarily the same experience that you might have in a, in a, in a New York or London, um. You know that being said mid-march or or even early march as we started to see what the potential of this virus was as a leader it 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 uh you know it was probably one of the more uh frightening uh things that we've ever had to deal with because you just didn't know nobody knew um what was going to happen next and so as 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 best as we could we had to make decisions um How do we equip our people to work remotely if they need to? When do we make that call? How does this change all of the plans we had for the year? You know, you're you're in early March having these fears and these thoughts about COVID for most in corporate uh, research or in the corporate world in general, you know, January and February kind of where you start retooling your strategy and so we had all these best laid plans right in front of us and then they all came to a grinding halt. Uh, We made a decision um, at, a, at, a, at a point in mid-March, everybody needs to work from home from all of our locations. We had, we had offices in five different cities around the U.S. Um, and and it, the, the transition for the digital side of the group, which was by headcount, the larger side, was a lot easier because everything we do is online. And, and within a few weeks, it became clear this was going to be a, a longer-term effect. This was not just going to go away. Uh, and so we had to figure out how to take our in-person research assets—those folks that that helped us do in-person research in uh, Miami and Nashville and Charlotte, North Carolina—and use those people to help um, support all the growth that we were having on the digital side. Um, and so we we were kind of in a—we had to retrain and retool dozens of staff members to be able to help on the digital side of the business when the in-person side went idle.
0: I guess I'd be interested to hear what sort of conversations you then ended up having with clients that have stayed the course with their face-to-face research schedules through the pandemic.
1: You know, um, there's there's plenty of folks who have been able to execute some version or level of their in-person work, but it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a small percentage of, of the overall volume we saw, let's say, in 2019. Um, we at Schlesinger Group, and, and we had even right about the time of the acquisition, You, you got to understand it's, very, it's been a very interesting year. We basically uh, went through, announced the acquisition um, like right in the midst of the early days of the pandemic. So there's a lot of change going on at that point in time. But, um, you know, we we made very, very early commitments to have best of breed um, sanitization, how we're handling respondents, how we're protecting people in our facilities. And, you know to be honest, we have updated and 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 taken in best of breed information since then, but we haven't really had to do a ton since the early days of the pandemic because we knew that if anybody was going to come to in-person research, we had to have these safeguards in place. That allowed um, a lot of researchers to start thinking about how to dip their toe back into in-person. we saw in the second quarter kind of a, a fairly large pause because people are still trying to figure out is it safe? How can Schlesinger help me do this? But then you saw you know, let's say in June, July, August, people really starting to open that door again, um, doing in-person research where where it was safe and effective um, and then moving the preponderance of their work to the online platforms um, and and trying to juggle that and figure out the best place to do those things. Now more than ever, there's nothing like in-person research to deliver the voice and the views of the consumer. Face-to-face delivers on empathy, captures nuanced body language, and creates personal connections that can be explored further. All focus group facilities are committed to safe and socially distanced protocols to keep our teams, our clients, and our participants safe. People are engaged and excited to share new emotions, new buying patterns, and new ways that they're seeing the world. Clients need this deep insight to make the best possible decisions at this critical time we're here we're focused and we're ready for in person research it's time to embrace the research space
0: and i'm interested you know you were saying that that the sort of acquisition had sort of dovetailed with with the pandemic and did that shape your decision to sort of you know go down that route i mean that must have been a, a sort of huge you know jigsaw puzzle of sort of mental, you know, thoughts and, and, and commercial realities and sort of, you know, physical demands all at the same time. I mean, how did you sort of navigate through that um, time, Isaac?
1: Well, so um, we had been in talks with the Schlesinger Group, and we believed that, that we shared the long-term vision of what the industry was going to look like uh, and, and we have known Steve and Mike and the rest of the team for a very long time. And so this, this wasn't something that, you know, I've, I've talked to people who've said, Oh, so did you guys start talking in like January, February? And then, you know, that all this came together in, in February, or March um, for those that have any illusion about uh, uh, <laughs> mergers and acquisitions um, it's, it's usually a, at a minimum a six month and more likely a 12 month long process. So, so these, you know, conversations had been happening for a very, very long time. So, so um, you know, uh, I was at a level of mental preparedness that was probably different than the rest of our staff um, you know, because in, within the period of a couple of weeks, they heard COVID is going to change the world um, and you're all going to work from home. Um, if you're in our in-person facilities, um, you're probably very scared for what that means, but we're going to find a way to retool and retrain you. Oh, by the way, we're now part of another larger company. Uh, and we can't tell you what the future is going to look like because nobody knows what the long-term effects of COVID are going to be. And so there was a, an extraordinary amount of angst and concern. I mean, even I, like we are so uh, we, are, uh, we are so thankful for having a diversified business here at Schlesinger Group because it allowed us to, to move through, survive, retool in a way that other firms just weren't able to do because they were totally relying on in-person or, or totally relying on a single method. And still, I will tell you the angst that we had, even though we knew that everything was gonna be okay long-term, we knew we had this diversification that was gonna be so helpful. Um, you know, it was still, there was a very, very challenging time in May, June, July. Um, uh, the, you know, that, that, uh, that stress was, was very apparent. And then, you know, so we're getting acquired, going through COVID. And oh, by the way, some of our business lines were up four, five, six, seven hundred 700%. So we trained from not only that, we, we kind of took the 2020 in-person talent and moved them to digital. So it was a few couple dozen, three dozen people, I think. Um, and then we also onboarded, I, th- I think 40 or 50 Schlesinger people within a few weeks as well and brought them into the digital operations group. So we basically doubled our head count in about a 90 day window. Um, that, was, that was an extraordinary amount of stress. The, the operations folks and my team just did an amazing job with that. Um, you know, that's normally like we think about onboarding that number of people in maybe a year and they, they did it in about 90 days under the most challenging circumstances, still haven't met most of their colleagues face to face. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's been a super challenging year, but all that being said, I believe that these years are, are a crucible for companies. They are, they're the years when you really form a lot of really good habits, you form a lot of bonds. Um, and so with all the, uh, with all the destruction that COVID has wreaked, I'm trying to look for some of the silver linings.
0: And I love that idea. I mean, it sounds like uh, like, you know, that, that sort of formation of great habits, great standard operating procedures, really critical. You know, I, for me, hearing you talk, it feels like there's a real clear golden line from that sort of, you know, time out on a cattle ranch, everything being, you know, on you to actually sort of, you know, solve it rather than just look to other people to solve it. And that sort of, you know, attitude and mindset actually having served you quite well in a time of crisis?
1: Well, I, I, I need to correct you because, um, yes, I was I, I, I may have that as my background, but, but what we did in this last nine months had almost nothing to do with me. Um, I, I look around to the leaders inside of 2020 and, and the Schlesinger Group as a whole, um, what they did and how, like, to a person, um, they had no idea how big the challenge was ahead of them. And they jumped in anyway, and and so you know I I get to be part of this group that that is now able to tell this story, uh, but it was it was countless leaders inside of our organization who had that same feeling of um, I've got to roll up my sleeves and figure out how to do this. There is no other choice. I have to do this um, because we are in a position where we can. And and so it's it's you know I I made I may have a, a a nice tight story to tell around it but I am probably one of the least influential people in how we were successfully able to
0: navigate this. It's fascinating, every time I hear people say that, and I 100% believe what you say, Isaac, as well, just to get that right out there on the record. But I'm always fascinated and and always wanna hear from people who say that about the importance of the team and ask whether there were leaders that emerged during that period from places that you just didn't expect.
1: Oh my gosh absolutely um you know uh we have had people who have moved over i'll I'll pick on somebody in our organization and 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 I'll and her name is natalie and natalie ran our miami facility very talented person uh primarily focused on 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 in-person work for the past she's been with us a little bit longer than me so 13 14 years um and and as as one of our product lines our video interview solution kept growing and growing and growing we knew we needed more management more leadership and, and you know, we went to Natalie one day and, and, you know, there's almost like she has almost no experience in this directly with this part of the business. And we said, hey, we want you to lead one of the functional groups of what's one of the largest growing pieces of this digital business. And it wasn't even a question. She was like, of course. And she had I mean, here's somebody who had. She knew about the products, she knew generally how they worked, but we turned around to her remotely on a video interview and said, hey, the last 13 or 14 years of your career and what you've been building up to, we're going to put a pin in that for now and we're going to totally pivot you to something you've never done before. Are you ready? And, and it's people like Natalie going, of course I'm ready, um, that allow us to navigate through a situation like this in, in such a, such a it's, it was not easy, um, mm-hmm. but I never had a doubt that we would be fine. Um, I never had a doubt. And it wasn't because I knew the future and I knew what COVID had in store for us. Uh, But I knew the people I work alongside of. And and that is all I need to know to know that we're just going to be fine.
0: Thank you so much. Now, I wonder what sort of uh, reaction have you been having from participants since they've been coming back to your facility?
1: So on the on the facility side, you know, it's 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 important that the communication about their safety starts well before they get there. Um, And and that starts in the recruiting process, being super clear about all the steps we're taking to make sure that we're using best practices uh, as far as sanitization, cleanliness, keeping people socially distanced, because we want people to feel very, very comfortable even before they arrive at the facility. And so there's a lot of prep work behind the scenes to do that when they arrive at the facility making sure we're reinforcing all of those things we've done, making sure we're reinforcing the, the safety of, of everybody involved, super important. Um, and then being able to make sure that, that if there's anything we could have done different or better, soliciting that feedback from those participants, you know, people say, look like um, you know, we've had suggestions come to come to us as we're executing this research. And we say, yeah, that's a really good idea. Let's We need, we need to do that. Thank you. Nobody has the playbook <laughs> for this yet. So thank you. Like we're not, we're not immune to the idea of, of you know respondents giving us really good feedback about how to do this so it's it's um, it's a ton of communication and a ton of making sure right because think about your participant let's say you've never been to a Schlesinger facility before you don't know what even what is you don't like you have no idea what you're even signing up for and so that over communicating what we're going to be doing to keep people safe i think is probably the most critical
0: piece it sounds like that sort of over-communication is perhaps a lesson that would be pretty applicable to most businesses trying to actually navigate their way through this sort of melee and confusion and and, and sort of you know opportunity and threat period as well.
1: I I I I think you're absolutely right. I, I think um, you know what what uh, what this amount of radical change has brought us is this is this fact that. We're all kind of on the same. How should should I put this? It's not we're all on the same level, but we're all kind of starting at ground zero in a way with some of these things because um, you know we are thinking more about the respondent experience for for our in-person Schlesinger facilities as well as our digital tools than we ever have before because because so much has changed and so you know it's kind of one of those moments where you know in your life where you've you've had a reset and you go well I I can't rely on it's like moving into a new house that's kind of how it feels in some ways like. I mean, I knew where the washing machine was before and I, I knew where to go and I, I knew what breaker was gonna break if I if, if I you know turn the heater up too high. I gotta learn all those new things and so I've gotta be very conscientious. At your old house, you could kind of, you could almost close your eyes and walk around and not bump into anything. Well, at your new house, like you don't know where the light switches are and so you've gotta pay so much more attention and I think, honestly, there's gonna be a lot of good that comes out of that long term because we've been listening so much, not only in research, but also on the brand side. I, I would imagine the brand's, You could probably line up a litany of brands who would tell you that they've listened more to their consumers in the last nine months uh, and listen more intently than they ever have before.
0: Mm. Isaac, thank you so much. Now, at this point of the interview, what I normally do is just hand over the microphone to you as the uh, sort of guest on the show. Really, and it's a chance for you just to sort of tell the listeners of the Outrageous Impact show a little bit more about Schlesinger or about any sort of passion projects that you've got going on? Anything where you think you'd like to just communicate what's going on for you? or ask for help, or just sort of tell people about something. So um, I did forget to mention this to you right up front, so I apologize in advance uh, for putting you on the spot. I did say no tricky questions, and now I've just dropped you on this one. But hopefully it's a, it's a good tricky rather than a bad tricky. So I'm going to hand the microphone over to you, and then we'll wrap up.
1: So I'll, 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 I'll tell you two things that come to mind. Um, and the first, the first thing is how we are looking at our business at Schlesinger Group uh, and, and what we believe our future looks like. And, and, and it's a, it's a, I'm going to give you the broad mandate and then, and then we can talk about details if you want. So broadly speaking, the market research industry has not been the biggest adopter of change <laughs> and um, things like automation, things like artificial intelligence, things like um you know, workflow changes that a lot of people in our world and in our sphere, they look at and they go, yeah, that probably could be better, but I got to get this project on the floor. Yeah, I could probably do that better, but I got to get this project going. And, and there's just been this massive inertia that has driven so much of the behaviors in market research. We believe that there's a new day um, with COVID, with the Google generation and everything else. And we believe that it's, it's our, um, not our opportunity, but almost our responsibility now to look at these workflows and the way that we do research and question everything and put back in its place a way that is a lot more efficient and effective and can deliver on the mandate that we have from the brands we serve. Um, So what we're doing internally is we're really lifting up every little rock, looking in every little corner and saying, okay, if we are gonna rebuild this industry, if we're gonna rebuild the way this works, what would it look like? Because we believe this is our shot to do it. so that's what we're doing internally, and then, and then kind of externally, or what I what I what what kind of gets me up in the morning is, you know, if you boil down what we do in market research, it's 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 pretty simple. Um, we give a voice, right? We give a voice to humans. We give a voice to customers. We give a voice to your business partners. That's our job, um, plain and simple. What we do is we connect a brand or a or a service organization or a non for profit with the people that they serve and that we are the conduit, right? So we connect the need with the people who have a voice. And I think when we start taking that more seriously, when we start realizing that we are giving a voice to people who may not have ever had a voice before, who may not have ever uh, realized their impact on a brand or a business or an organization, um, we change the world a little bit, right? I, I have sat in very moving experiences with research respondents and facilities and digital. One that comes to mind is a few years ago, I, I was I was actually riding in an elevator in our building going to, going to my floor, but kind of stopping off in the facility, and and I, I get to talking to this lady, and and um, she's got a young kid with her, and I want you, know, all the background really doesn't matter, but but you know what I I ask her, I said. I said, what do you think about coming and doing research like this? And she had done a project a couple of years before and and she looked at me and tears came in her eyes and she said, um, she said, you know, this is a place that people actually listen to me. And I asked her a little bit about that and, and, and she was very emotional about it. And I'll be honest, I got a little emotional about it because what, what, what I will tell you is what she lived a life where nobody really cares what she thinks um she has a job she has kids no one ever sits down and asks hey debbie what do you think hey sally what do you think um it is it is her only opportunity in life to talk to the brands she loves the companies she loves the organization she loves and say this my name is sally and this is what i think about what you do and that's hugely empowering for her and i think we miss that a lot in research um, and but i think it's one of the clear essences that i think we need to really hold more true because it's it's what we're here to do
0: thanks for listening to the outrageous impact show if you've enjoyed it leave a review and tell your friends